God's Road Grace Church would like to invite you to listen to a sermon by our pastor, Todd Nybert. We are located at 4137 Todd's Road, two miles outside of Manowar Boulevard. Sunday services are at 1030 a.m. and 6 p.m. Bible study is at 945 a.m. Wednesday services are at 7 p.m. Nursery is provided for all services. For more information, visit our website at toddsroadgracechurch.com. Now here's our pastor, Todd Nybert. I'm going to be speaking from Genesis chapter 36 and the first two verses of Genesis chapter 37. And I've entitled this message, The Generations of Esau. Esau was the twin brother of Jacob. Now in Genesis chapter 36, we read, now these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. Genesis chapter 36 is a chapter that we're tempted to just skip. It's a long list of names of the men who were the descendants of Esau. And it's very long. There are scores of names mentioned. And when we read something like this, we have a tendency to uh, just skip it. As a matter of fact, I talked to one man who said when he was having problems sleeping, he would read Genesis chapter 36 to put him to sleep. Now, why would God have a chapter in the Bible like this? And there's many chapters like this, seemingly endless genealogies and names of people. Now, I want you to remember 2 Timothy 3.16 says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And Genesis chapter 36 is given by inspiration of God. Now, if we don't have the presupposition that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant Word of God, we really have nothing to say. Um, My opinion, your opinion, which are both worthless when it comes right down to it. If the Bible is not the Word of God, what do we have but man's opinion? But thank God, the Bible is, as it declares to be, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, we read in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 36, these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. And I said he goes on to name a, it's a very long chapter with many names mentioned. The kings and dukes that came out of Esau and the country of Edom. And then in chapter 37, verse 2, we read, these are the generations of Jacob, Esau's twin brother. And only one name is mentioned. Now remember the generations is more than uh, just a list of genealogy, names of descendants. It means the life and times of a certain period or a certain person. These are the generations of Jacob, and one name is mentioned, Joseph. Joseph. Joseph with his, was his 11th son, born to Rachel, his favorite wife, Joseph. And as we're, we'll, you go on reading in the book of Genesis, Joseph is 
perhaps the greatest type of Christ in all of the word of God. These be the generations of Esau. That's what I want us to consider first. Now, this chapter opens with the three wives of Esau. Their names in Genesis 36. Esau took wives of the daughters of Canaan. The first was named Ada. The second was named Aholabama. And the third was named Bashamath. Those were his three wives of which all these descendants came. And I think it's very interesting what the names of these women mean. The first woman's name means ornament. The second woman's or wife's name means tent of the high place. The third wife's name means spice. Now, what's an ornament? It's something that makes you appear to be beautiful or better, but it doesn't change the inside. The tent of the high place, it has something to do with idolatry. Spice has something to do with making something taste better or disguising the taste. I think that that is such an apt picture of human religion. It's an ornament. It dresses up the outside, but it doesn't change the inside. It is based upon idolatry, false views of the living God. And it's spice. It tries to make something taste better to make it more appealing to the flesh. That describes human religion. Now the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, were the enemies of Israel. You can read in Numbers chapter 20 how when Israel tried to pass through the land of Edom, Edom refused passage and refused to give them water to drink. They were the sworn enemies of Israel. Now Esau was the twin brother of Jacob, and we read about their birth in Genesis chapter 25. I would like to read that to you. This is so important. Beginning in verse 19 of Genesis chapter 25, and these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel the Syrian, of Padanaram, the sister to Laban the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. She now had life within her. She didn't before this, but now she does. Verse 22, and the children struggled within her. She didn't know she had twins, but within her, now that there was life, There was a struggle. There was a fight. I don't know how to explain that, but these twins were opponents to one another and struggling within the womb. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? She didn't understand why this struggle was going on within her. And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, to Nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Now I want us to notice 
This is not being redundant when God tells her two nations are in thee and two manner of people. What that lets us know is that this passage of scripture is given to teach and illustrate two different things. Now, we know that this illustrates election. That's how God uses it in Romans 9. Uh, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. What is election? God choosing his people before the foundation of the world. That is clearly taught in the scripture. God said, Jacob have I loved. Election. The second thing this teaches when it teaches two manner of people, it talks about the two natures within the believer. Now the unbeliever only has one nature, the nature he was born with. When a man is born again, he's given a nature, a new creation that was not there before. And there is a struggle all the days of the believer's life between the old man and the new man. It's described in Romans chapter 7. Now, Jacob and Esau, twins coming from the same mother, and Jacob and Esau really represent believers and unbelievers, the elect and the rest, the justified and those who are not justified, the children of God, the children of the devil, the saved, the lost, the forgiven, those who are not forgiven. Those who are justified, who stand before God without guilt, and those who stand in their sins. Those who've been born from above, those who have never been born again. Now, throughout the scripture, we have examples. Cain and Abel, Saul and David, the Pharisee and the publican. Two men that represent all men. Now, you and I are either a Jacob or an Esau, a lover of God or one who does not love God, one of God's chosen or someone who goes their own way and cares nothing for God. Now, the first information we're given concerning Esau is found in this 25th chapter. I'd like to read in verse 29. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field. And he was faint. He was hungry. Perhaps he'd been hunting. And he comes in from the field, faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. Now what is this birthright all about? In Genesis chapter 3, God made this promise, the seed of woman shall crush the serpent's head. That's the first promise of Christ coming to crush the works of the devil. And everybody was looking for that seed. When Eve said, behold, I've gotten a man from the Lord, she thought that meant this is the seed. This is the promised one that's going to crush the serpent's head. And the seed would always come through the firstborn. Esau was the firstborn. The Christ was to come through him. And Jacob says, sell this privilege to me. And do you know it just didn't mean much 
to Esau. It didn't mean anything to him. He was willing to sell his birthright for a bowl of soup. That is how unimportant the birthright was to Esau. It was everything to Jacob. He knew he had to have it. But to Esau, the bottom line, Christ was not important to Esau. Christ was everything to Jacob. Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, behold, I'm at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? I'm starving to death. And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore unto him and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. That's God's testimony. Esau despised his birthright. Now I'd like to read the New Testament commentary on this out of Hebrews chapter 12. The writer to the Hebrews makes this comment beginning in verse 15. Looking diligently lest any fail of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Profane. Esau is described as profane. Now, when we think of profane, we generally think of profanity. Obscene language, irreverence. And that indeed is part of what profane means, but the first meaning of profane is accessible. You cross the threshold, you can be bought. That is what Esau was. He could be bought. There was something more valuable to him than Christ, and he could be bought. Now, to an unbeliever, He's got a point where he'll sell out. A believer would never sell out on Christ in the sense that there's nothing worth that. Christ is everything. He's all. He's altogether glorious. There's nothing you can give me. I don't care what it is that would equal the value of Christ or even come close. But an unbeliever sees no value in Christ like that. And they're willing to sell out. When somebody leaves the gospel, when somebody leaves Christ... It's because there's something that they see more valuable than him. But that is never the case with a believer. Now, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture from Romans chapter 9, how Paul uses this same story of Jacob and Esau. He says in Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 11, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth, as it is written. Now, this is always the authority, not because this preacher says it or that denomination believes something. Here's the only authority, for it is written. And then Paul quotes Malachi chapter 1 where God said, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Jacob have I loved. This is God speaking. Now Jacob, if you read the history of Jacob, he was a very sinful, 
deceitful man full of contradictions and God loved him. And the reason was not found in Jacob's person. We already read, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, they had no good works to recommend them, they had no bad works to disqualify them. God's love for Jacob was not found in some good quality in Jacob. Now, usually when people think of that verse of Scripture, they think, well, how could God hate Esau? Well, let me tell you two things about that. Number one, God's hatred is not like our hatred. Our hatred is sinful. It's wrong. God's hatred is perfect. It is holy. It's because of his holy character. So when it says God hated Jacob, it was not an evil, malicious hatred like ours is. It's a hatred with regard to righteousness and holiness. It's a holy hatred. You know, Psalm 5, 5 says, Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. And I can see why a holy God would hate me because of my own sinfulness. I understand that. When someone asks, how could God hate Esau? They're really asking, how could he hate me? I'm such a good person. I don't see where that would be right for God to hate me. And we demonstrate an ignorance of the character of God and an ignorance of our own personal sinfulness. This is how we ought to respond to this. We ought to be amazed by God's love to Jacob. I love the hymn, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned, unclean. Jacob, have I loved. God didn't send his son into the world to make a way for him to love. God sent his son into the world because he did love. Jeremiah 31.3, and this is said to every believer, God speaking, behold, I have loved you with an everlasting love. A love that never had a beginning and a love that will never have an ending. The New Testament commentary on that verse of scripture, whom he did foreknow. Now that foreknow doesn't simply mean he knew their names or knew about them or knew who they were or knew what they would do. Adam knew Eve. He loved her. He had an intimate relationship with her. Whom he did foreknow. Them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him. In love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. Jacob, have I loved the love of God, the saving love of God. Now let me say this with regard to God's love. There will be nobody in hell that God loves. 
Now in Malachi chapter 1, I'd like to read that. It's the last um, book in the Old Testament. And this is what Paul quotes when he says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Now Malachi says, the burden, Malachi chapter 1 verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. And indeed, the word of the Lord is a burden to those who know the word of the Lord. They're burdened out of the fear of God, His greatness, His awesomeness, and our fear to misrepresent Him. This thing of preaching is a burden because I fear misrepresenting God. I fear giving my own thoughts and my own opinions and not what God actually says. And I pray, Lord, deliver me from that. Let me bring your message, not my message, not my thoughts, your word. Now here's God speaking. He says, I have loved you, saith the Lord. This is what he says to all his people. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet you say, wherein hast thou loved us? If you really loved us, why did this take place? Why did that take place? If you really love us, why does this trial come? Why does this misfortune come? Why am I so tried? Why why are things so difficult for me? Wherein have you loved us? Now look at God's answer. Was not Esau Jacob's brother. Now he's talking about these two twins that we've been considering. Was not Esau Jacob's brother. And if you read the history of Esau, Esau was a better man, humanly speaking, than Jacob was. You think of how deceitful Jacob was in swindling his brother. Do you remember when he came to their father Isaac and he disguised himself as Esau so he could swindle Esau's blessing? He came with Esau's clothing Um, with Esau's smell, he did everything he could to deceive Isaac, to rob his brother of the blessing. Now, you can see why Esau would greatly resent him for this. But you know what Esau did? He forgave him. He forgave him and he received him. And I tell you, that's that's very commendable on his part. And God says, was not Esau Jacob's brother? Saith the Lord, yet, God says, I loved Jacob and hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, those are the descendants of Esau, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I will throw down. And they shall call them the border of wickedness, the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. Now God says, Esau have I hated. Esau hated God, and God hated Esau. Now I dare say there's not one person listening right now And I thought this before too. How could it be fair for God to hate Esau and love Jacob? How could that be fair? 
Now, I've asked that question, and you've asked that question. Paul anticipated that in Romans chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, when he said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Uh, uh, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Is God unfair? He knew that's what everybody would think. Is God unfair in loving Jacob and hating Esau? Now, when we make that statement, we're all of a sudden God's judge. We think we're fit to be judge of God. And in reality, no man is able to sit in judgment on God. Whatever God does is right. Whatever God does is just. Whatever God does is true. And no man has the right to sit in judgment on God and say, I agree with this or I disagree with that. Now, religion presents God loving all men the same. And what they're doing, they're thinking, well, this is the way God ought to be. Therefore, this is uh, what we think with regard to him. And they say something the scripture never says because the scripture never says God loves all men the same. And really, when we say God loves all men the same, we're making the love of God meaningless. We're saying he can love you and you end up in hell anyway. That makes God's love meaningless. And that makes salvation dependent upon what we do rather than what God does. Now, the fact of the matter is, if I present God loving all men the same, I make the love of God meaningless. He can love somebody and they wind up in hell Anyway, it makes him mutable. He can change. Now, I've even heard people say, well, him loving uh, Esau, hating Esau means he loved him less. God can't love less. He's God. Listen to what the scripture says. Esau have I hated and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereof Edom saith we are impoverished, we'll return and build the desolate places. This is what we will do. I will. That's where sin begins. No word of if God will, will do this, but this is what I will do. And God said, I'll make sure this does not happen. I will throw down what they try to build. And it's going to be called the border of wickedness forever. Now, these are the generations of Esau. But I would like to close by looking at what the scripture says uh, with regard to Jacob. These are the generations of Jacob, Joseph. And Joseph is that great type of Christ. Now, this is the life and times of every believer, every Jacob, Jesus Christ. All God requires of every believer, he looks to Christ for. And this is the history of every believer, the person and work of Christ. And that's why Paul said, oh, that I may win Christ and be found in him. So when God comes looking for me, All he sees is Jesus Christ. Oh, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faithfulness of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. The generations of Esau, just a bunch of names with one event in that chapter that is really quite boring. The generations of Jacob, every believer, Jesus Christ. I pray this message has been a blessing to you. May God richly bless you.
To receive a copy of the sermon you have just heard, send your request to todd.nybert at gmail.com or you may write or call the church at the information provided on the screen.